Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Finale of the Stupid Cancer Show, broadcast number 249. My name is Matthew Zachary. I'm a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And my name is Kenny Kane, EVP of Mission and co-founder of Stupid Cancer. And we are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Indeed we are, Kenny. It's not okay. It's not okay, Matthew. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show... Is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. And have we got a show for you tonight to end the season? Our friends at HuffPost, that's a T at the end, folks. HuffPost, I'm getting thumbs up from our in studio guests. HuffPost has been profiling the young adult cancer movement for several weeks now, and we've got two of their rock star um, editors uh, here in, in studio Laura Shocker, senior editor for Healthy Living, and Seamus McKiernan who is an associate blog editor and a young adult cancer caregiver to our friend Suleika. I'm going to mess up her last name. Juwad. Juwad. Thank you very much. And in our Survivor Spotlight, sisters, Heather and Haley Buchan. Heather is a young adult survivor of non-Hodgkin's performance twice over and a former Stupid Cancer intern alumni, so she bears the wounds and the scars. Correct. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, online at stupidcancer.org, the largest support community for the young adult cancer movement. All right, and the Stupid Cancer, welcome finally to any and all of our first-time listeners here tonight on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio downtown in New York City. All righty, and with that, our self-ingratiating applause and a big hello to Annie Goodman. Hi. Good evening. 
Thanks for having me. You look fantastic. Thank you. I like the um, fame style bra yeah. shoulder thing going on there. My shirt kind of Irene, stretch- you're channeling Irene Cara. Dear, yeah. human, dear human resources. My shirt kind of... Uh, <laughs> My shirt kind of stretched out as the day went on. That's Probably okay. not the most business-appropriate attire, but it's Monday. Have whatever. you noticed who you work with? Well, I, okay. I'm not worried about you guys. <laughs> okay. I'm worried about, like, my daytime job. Uh, I, get it. I get it. Whatever. I get it. Fantastic. What are you going to do? Well, we have the wonderful Maureen Sweet in the back waving on the radio. Tame and Kim, Matt Beckett, our wonderful interns. And uh, this is nice. It's nice to have a 120-degree room <laughs> with no air conditioning. I feel like I'm in a sauna. Inside but, a steam room. Correct. Yes. Fantastic. What's up, Kenny? Uh, not much. Annie's rocking the, the bra straps, and I'm rocking the no beard. <laughs> yeah, you shaved. You look 11 years old. I, I do not like, I do not approve. Well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. That gets one of these. Kenny <laughs> get, get, has to end the season with a... With an F-bomb. With an F-bomb. Fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful. Anyway, so what possessed you to shave? Uh, I don't know. Fresh start. New beginnings, but the new year is in like two weeks. It's a it's a preemptive. Actually, it's a it's a response to my 26th birthday, which oh, is coming up oh. on Saturday. Yes, that is true. So I am trying to age gracefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, by shaving your face, you're definitely aging. You're reverse aging. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Yes. Anyway, well, we can't not talk about what happened in Connecticut. Um, I mean, again, it, it, it's not cancer, but who cares? Because it's important. And, you know, we're not here to politicize anything, but I just, we have to say that everyone here at Stupid Cancer wants to send their heartfelt love and support to all those affected by the massacre. Um, when it broke on the news, I just, I was, I was dumbfounded. You, you could not even conceive of it being reality. It just, it couldn't make sense. Yeah, I was at work and uh, I work in the news and unfortunately this is not my first mass killing I've covered. Um, I covered Virginia Tech, and that was extremely troubling because that was, you know, it still down, goes down history as the worst right. uh, massacre in history. And this one, I, you know, I remember Virginia Tech, we all, like, I sat in the newsroom and we all screamed because it came through the wires that, and this is usually how it happens, like, you hear, like, one or two and you think it's, like, an isolated incident. It could be, like, you know, the Empire State Building right. incident where it's, like, a dispute between two people, not, like, a rampage. And it's usually, like, one or two. The next thing you know, it's, like, 30. Right. And um, I was paralyzed at my desk and cried, and it was awful. And I still can't I still can't fathom that this happened, yeah. even though I've covered so... I mean, it's really sad. What was the reaction uh, in your office? It was complete shock. People were crying. People are upset. There's a lot of people who have families and children, and it's also not that far from New York City. Right. So um, people who are very uh, familiar with the area... Um, you know, you never get, you know, I've been a journalist now almost 10 years. You never get numb to these type of things. And, um, it's very difficult sometimes to do your job when you're just so upset and it's so upsetting. And, you know, I can't imagine hurting anyone, but to hurt a child is, uh, even, you know, I, I can't even fathom. I can't fathom any of it. I still can't. I've, you know, read way more about this than I want to. Of course, like, you always want to get inside the person's head. Right. And, you know, find out why they did this and what was wrong with them, what they were thinking, and it's just really sad. And I have to give Obama credit. His um, his evening speech is, is a press, whatever the, the... Yeah, the statement he made. Yeah, it was just incredibly moving. 
Yeah, my favorite line, um, and I think it's important for the president to be very serious, but also try to uplift the people. And one of the things he said was the little boy who was in one of the classrooms, one of the teachers, this is amazing, she told the children to hide in the bathrooms and some closets and, you know, basically shove yourself wherever you can. And she put cabinets up against the door so people couldn't get in. She refused to even let the police officers in. She right. said, show me your shield. She still didn't believe them. And she said, um, well, if you're really a cop, you probably have a key. So go through all the keys and figure it out. But anyway, a little boy in the classroom said, I got this. I know karate. That's right. And he Obama brought that. that moment up. And it was so nice for him to also remind us of the innocence of children because um, it's very easy to just be sad. And you're able to hear the people crying in, in, the, in the ceremony, in the, not the ceremony, but in the audience. And it was nice you make people laugh. Right. And even last night I watched the live um ceremony in Newtown. Mm-hmm. And he gave, everyone was gave an incredibly inspiring yep. um talk and discussion. Again, I mean I'm I'm still I can still consider myself a new dad. My kids mm-hmm. are just about two, a little over two and a half. And yeah, this is the first mass killing where I've been a parent. Right. And not that it would have made a difference if I wasn't because right. you still feel incredible sympathy, but the idea of of I mean six- and seven-year-old children. And one of the things that hits me is, I know I'm childless, um, but one of the things that hits me is that one day when I do have children, as a cancer survivor, whether I have a child naturally or with treatments or surrogate or adoption, um, it's going to be such a process for me to have a child right? that I have a true appreciation for life. Yes. I mean, not just my own, but creating life, mm-hmm. that it's an un. I just can't. I still can't yeah, wrap my head around it, but it's like I have such an appreciation, and you never want to see anything. Right. Children are so innocent and they're so sweet, and you don't want to see anything bad happen to them. And you know, my nephew's in kindergarten, and my nieces are a little bit older, but I just, I still can't believe it. It's yeah, it, it, it's incomprehensible, yeah. and yet it happened, and here we are, and 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 hopefully that you know, I know a lot of people want to get political about this, and it's going to happen regardless, and I just hope that. Whatever comes out of this, we it's, it's positive. If there's some way to reduce the risk of this happening again, I think yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. Somehow. I agree. Somehow. Well, anyway, um, we'd like to welcome everyone to the Stupid Cancer Show. It's time to introduce our fabulous Survivor Spotlight. Uh, so tonight we have Heather Buchan. She is a young adult survivor of uh, two times of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Also, as Matthew mentioned, she's a stupid cancer intern alumni, and she's joined by her sister, Haley Buchan, who was her uh, bone marrow donor. Welcome, Heather and Haley. Hi. Hello. It's been so long, Heather. I know. How uh, are you? I'm doing really well. Um, you look a lot healthier that you're not interning here. <laughs> <laughs> Life is good. Yep. Um well, I'm what's at, going on? At school now, everything is going really well. What are you smart? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, your sister's just like, oh. <laughs> when was your you left here in August? Yeah. Okay. Time time flies. Yeah. Very yeah. quick. Frightening. Well, anyway, let's let's get started by let's talk about your story. I mean, the cancer's so nice. You got it twice. How old were you? What were the circumstances? What was your life like the day before? What was going on? Okay, so. Um, I remember it was December, right around um, midterms. I was in high school, a sophomore in high school, or junior in high school, and I was 16 years old. And the first thing that happened was 
my face sort of like squished up and we thought it was um, Bell's palsy and I was treated with um, a, a cancer treatment prednisone which some of you guys are pretty familiar with. Good stuff. <laughs> it's a fun steroid. Yeah. And, um, and it sort of went away and then about a week later um, I was on the school bus coming home from school and I had a scarf around my neck and I went to take off the scarf and there was this like huge banana-sized lump growing out of my neck. So my mom was sort of like, let's go to the emergency room. <laughs> and it wasn't there in the morning? No, it, it, was, it wasn't there an hour ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. So that's why um, I had a, a certain type of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma called lymphoblastic lymphoma. It means, like, it grows very quickly. Clearly. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time... I, I went to one hospital, and then they transferred me to um, Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. And um, by the time I was there, I was in, like, tomorrow's children wing, and I'm like, oh, God, this is, can't be good. I immediately had a um, biopsy and port, and uh, everything happened really quickly. Um, and started treatment, a um, couple phases of uh, just chemo and Right. Final taps and just crazy. The, the good stuff. They threw the book at you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And um, then, since I had the prednisone in uh, for the um, Bell's palsy, they weren't sure if they needed to do radiation um, because they weren't sure if it was like a false positive with the bone marrow. Um, but thank God they did the radiation because when I had the relapse, it would have come back worse. Right. Um, I. Graduated high school on time, didn't take, just did a lot of tutors. Um, was there any doubt that you wouldn't graduate on time? Um, there there was, I did a lot of summer classes, uh, lots of, like, uh, I did an independent study. Sure. And, um, and I got to Syracuse University, it was great. Um, I had, like, a few more maintenance treatments left, uh, and then I was done, but... It was right around um, finals and Christmas break, uh, and I had my final scans, and they weren't really what we expected. Um, I had the relapse. I was 18 years old, and um, last last May, I had um, uh, my bone marrow transplant. It was a stem cell transplant, T-cell depleted, and um, thank God, my sister Haley, my older sister, was um, almost a perfect match, as close as you can be without being identical twins. So. Well, speaking of Haley, hi there. Hi. Welcome to the show. Hey. So, uh, how long have you been sisters? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Twenty-four. Well, well, we're three years apart. Oh, okay. So I'm twenty-four. So, so you beat her up a little bit. Eh, maybe just a little. Just a little bit. Okay. But you're nice to her now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so all right, so let's let's. I want to just make sure you're talking into the mic because it's hard. To, oh. You can tilt this down a little bit. You don't have to like. I'm little. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, no, no, I, I, we, we do it all the time. It's kind of like this uh, magic. Oh, that's get people to whatever. Yes, it is. Hi there. Hey. <laughs> all right, so you are. All right, so she's 16. You're 19, and your little sister gets diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, that was. Your reaction. That that was one of the most intense things of my life is my best friend so were you home or were you away at school I was away at school I went to University of Hartford in Connecticut mm-hmm. so it's so crazy and so 
it, I can't even describe it. It was so hard to be away from home and just imagining and not knowing. It's it's always worse not to know. It's yeah. Empty picture. Ugh. But she's amazing. She's like the strongest person that I know mm-hmm. in my life. You want to pull the mic just a little closer to you? I just yeah, want to give a shout out to my um, younger brother and sister, Quinn and Hope. Oh my God, you're four! Oh yeah. yeah. God bless your parents. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've got two, and I'm done. Um, they were uh, great. My whole family was just a huge support of me just going through treatment, and our whole family got so much closer, um, bonding and. Uh, when I was in um, transplant at uh, Sloan Kettering, I was there for like 154 days. And then uh, after that, I went to um, Ronald McDonald's house, and I had the flu. So I couldn't leave my room there either because other cancer patients would get sick. So I was pretty much in all summer, and my family, we just played like games and did a lot of just family bonding. So, all right, so... Did you have to leave school, or were you able to finish your courses, or did the school oh. let you take absences, or go oh for oh when, when she, she was in relapsed. treatment, yeah oh that was um, my senior year of college. Um, it was it was crazy. I was getting ready to graduate, getting ready to walk. I was pulling all my classes together, but it worked out well um, actually because. I am a photographer. I did um, photography classes in school, and the, when Heather first got sick, I started a documentary of her. So I kind of pulled really? it right wow. through. Okay. Yeah. So. Very nice. Yeah. And how embarrassed were you when she told you she was interning for us? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those clowns, huh? Uh. How'd you find us anyway, Heather? My aunt told me about it when I was the first time when I was going through treatment, and I just read a lot of the blogs and thought it was really cool. Um, but I, I really didn't look into you guys until I was um, in a waiting room and I was talking to this girl, and she's like, "Yeah, I interned at Stupid Cancer." Uh, Who was that then? Amanda. Oh, Amanda Freeman. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and she gave me her business card, and I was like. I haven't. I don't think she recognized me going through treatment, but I have. I haven't stayed in touch with her. But um, uh, well, Kenny can attest to your aptitude. You were a wonderful, very productive, extremely diligent human being. Yeah. As opposed to Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Yes. You made up for all my uh, misgivings. Exactly. Yeah. So Haley, my question is for you. Um, Oh. So how many? Did all your siblings, you all got tested? Yeah. If you're a match? Yeah. Were you really, Were you the only sibling who was a match? Uh, yeah, and it's actually a little bit of a crazy story. I remember we were all doing the mouth swabs, and, like, I, I had a feeling, I, for some reason, I was at school doing a winter term, and I was like, something's not right. It's like, something is weird. And I was like, I feel like a test. So, and long story short, I come home for, like, winter break, and... They tell us, like, Heather's had a relapse, and we're doing the mouth, the cheek mm-hmm. swabs to see who could be a match for her, potentially. Mm-hmm. And I was joking with my mom. I'll never forget this. I was like, Mom, just watch. You just watch. I'm going to be her perfect match. And she's like, okay, okay. And and I, I remember 
for whatever reason, I dropped. I was the one that dropped the swabs off, mm-hmm. and I said it again. I said it again when I dropped them off at the hospital. I was like, I just feel like I'm going to be her perfect match. You, you willed it upon yourself. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, that's a pretty big responsibility once it happens. And that's, so and what was the process like for you as a doctor? It's like winning the lotto, though. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the process like? Yeah. Um, for, well, for me, well, it's nothing compared to what has went right. through, but it was a little nerve-wracking because it's, you're preparing your body for something that is so incredibly important. Some, like, what are the chances of it being me, my sister, someone who I'm so close with? So there, there's no second chances with this. There's no messing around, and... You know, when you're when you're in college and you're getting ready to graduate, everyone's like, "Oh, you should do this. You should do this." I was like, "No, you don't understand. I've got I've got big things on my plate right now. I have to save my sister's life." Yeah, I was like, "I got things to do." Yeah. (laughs) What what things couldn't you do that you you had to do? Like, can't really drink that much because you're preparing. Like, you want your body to be as clean. Yeah. Well, that means Kenny will never be my bone marrow donor. No. Oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be, uh, no. You'd be running for the hills. <laughs> but, yeah, just, like, eating healthy, just taking care of yourself, making sure, like, you're, like, sleeping enough, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, in college, like, who really sleeps The typical, much? <laughs> basically the opposite of everything that yeah. a college student does. Yeah. You were how to do. All right, so for the listeners out there, talk us through, in, in you know, a minute or two, like, the actual bone marrow donor process. Oh, like the whole shebang because it, it can be painful sometimes correct yeah that was that was quite uncomfortable yeah um it's a very polite way of putting it well yeah. well you did the stem cells yeah i what? did i did stem cells though it was a peripheral right okay um still had to stay the stillest i've ever stayed in my life <laughs> right but they didn't jab like a giant javelin into your hip did they no okay. no no they did that to me that was fantastic oh yeah Mm. Uh, no, so with that, it was about a four-hour process. Right. And they harvested my stem cells. Um, I forget what the shot was. It was something to harvest. And um, it made my body really, really achy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my gosh. Right, right, like Kenny on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> um, you know, I... I that was really annoying because uh, my bones were expanding because we were harvesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was actually in the middle of moving home because I was just graduating. And sure. We waited for Heather was so kind enough to wait for me to yeah let me walk for graduation, but we were harvesting at the same time. Yeah. So once that was all good and ready, when they were ready for the big day um they put the in my left arm they put the big the big big needle like yeah the garden hose needle oh yeah oh yeah that was a unique pleasure and then uh in the other arm they put the smaller one to do the to put it right back in right that's like yeah. the second air hole you put in the high c can yeah so that yeah <laughs> that's the best way to put it yeah so um it was i've never stayed so still in my life <laughs> oh my god but, um, and even still, even after all this, there was still a chance it couldn't work. Yes, and uh, it's crazy. Like, um, but luckily, I was able to do the harvest all in one day. Wow, that's impressive. What was the waiting period between that and you were immediately infused? 
that day or no? Uh, I think it was one, like one day. They they had to take out all the T cells, right? Um, so that I would be more inclined to take the grass, right? Um, and you know it was crazy when I got they built up this transplant like total body radiation, um, all this stuff, and all all this chemo that'll drop your um, blood count and immune system to zero, and when I finally was ready for the transplant, they're like, okay, this is it. This is a syringe. It's going to go into your port, and it's going to take five minutes, and that's going to be the whole thing. And I'm like, that's it? And it looked just like... It looked like coconut water. It looked like coconut water (laughs) in a syringe, and and it was just like, all right, that's it. Didn't they let you do some of it? Yeah, they let me push my own uh, <laughs> my own transplant, which is kind of cool. That is pretty cool. Self serve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Are you technically like identical twins now? That's so it's, weird. It's pretty weird <laughs> because we now have identical blood DNA. Right. Wow. So we have this little thing. <laughs> <laughs> this little thing. We're not allowed to incriminate each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, you don't kill anyone, and I won't kill anyone. Uh, and no one, right. be, no one be a cat burglar or anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was sad. <laughs> that was sad on transplant day. No there was an actual be. law and order where someone did that, where guy oh had an God. identical twin. Really? And they were, like, estranged. I think they were, like, uh, both put up for adoption. And wow. one guy was, like, committing crimes in Florida. And, and they then, got like, the other guy? And he was following the other guy around. And they made it into a law and order. So Sorry to sidetrack there, but it just no. totally... But, but, it's all about Jerry Orbach, isn't yeah. it? It, okay. it, was, it, was, it was SVU, so it was okay. more like, okay. you know, just had only, to our, right. only our blood DNA is the same. Like, eye color, fingerprint, like, that's all the same. It's just, you got my hair, though, and you yeah. didn't want that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wavy like, hair, and she did not want big, puffy hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I got no hair, so... <laughs> I used to have a topiary. <laughs> it's Okay. And mine's in the process of coming back. Yeah, and it looks, it, yeah, and it looks great. Every every we're doing like the you know the little kids you measure to hide yeah. against the wall. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're doing that with Andy's hair. Yeah, when it comes I like back. It. I wanted I sheet. wanted to cut my hair when I came home for Thanksgiving break, and my mom's like, your hair is like a symbol or like like a shows how how far you've gone. So if you cut your hair, people are just gonna be confused. Right. <laughs> I didn't know she said that. Yeah. yeah. She, she's pretty protective of my hair. So oh, yeah. you are at what, what point in your cancerversariness? Well, um, tomorrow I am getting um, scans to see, like, how far I've come. Uh, and it's my bone marrow transplant was May 25, 2011, so, like, a year and a half. That's good. Yeah. It gets better. It gets better. <laughs> I got 17 coming up. Awesome. Good. Yeah. I almost got one. Yeah, and it's coming on one in February. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Exciting. Magic numbers. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, so you're good. You're, you graduated, I assume. You graduating? Um, yeah, I will be. I'm a sophomore right now. Okay. I At just some got, point, you'll be graduating. Into, um, <laughs> Kenny was on the five-year plan, so. Yeah. I was, yeah. too. It's over, whatever. <laughs> Real life is overrated sometimes. Just enjoy it more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're off of school, no big deal. But they were good to you, right? Oh, yeah. They let you... Do whatever you need to get done. Yeah. Good, good, good. What a, what a, uh, we like success stories. That, that's a great way to end, way, end yeah. the segment. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's, it's always good to see that. And uh, you guys are blessed to have each other. Definitely. So Absolutely. now you can intern for us again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on the Stupid Cancer Show. It is the lovely and talented Haley and Heather Buchan. 
Wait. There you go. <laughs> like, where's my sound cue, damn it? Okay. All right, well, we're going to do a transition while Kenny and I read the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay. Here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year, and we don't want you, want you missing out on them. Ugh. Hi, Kenny. It's Hello, the last man. show Here. of the season. It is. I was going to say earlier that we're going to make it. We're going to make we're it. We're going to get there. Okay. So I'm guessing you want to know what Stupid Cancer happy hours are coming What's up. What's coming up, if anything? Well, yes, if anything. Uh, January 9th, we have a Denver happy hour at 6.30 p.m. local time at Jonesy's Eat Bar. And do you want to briefly mention the 250 party? Yes. On January 14th, 2013, we will be broadcasting our 250th broadcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. We'll be celebrating here in the Big Apple with a major party afterwards at Chelsea Manor from 9.30 to midnight. All are welcome. We will be promoting this on Facebook, Twitter, and through our mailing list. Come on, come all, and please make sure you uh, check out our Facebook page to keep up on all the good stuff going on there. Who doesn't want to come hang out on a Monday night? 250 shows. That's a lot. Andy, you work in Brooklyn. That's, that's a do. big number. That's a lot. It's a big milestone. That's a big number. Yeah, you get a lot more hair, number one, I'm guessing. What? Exactly. And also, uh, it, it is also the, the unofficial celebration of my 17-year anniversary. So, so celebrate two things event. So it's the hashtag, and thanks to Maureen, Maureen, hashtag MC17 and hashtag SCS250. I like that. That's the show. All righty. Well, with that said, let us bring on our premier, pristine, fantastic feature guests here with little Get Shorty. Uh, so we have Laura Shocker, the senior editor of Healthy Living at the Huffington Post, and she's joined by Seamus McKiernan, a young adult cancer caregiver, associate blog editor of the Huffington Post, and you are Suleika Jawad's boyfriend. That's all he's known for. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Hi. We're really, really glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Have you been enjoying yourself so far? They're nodding on the radio. <laughs> for our listeners, they're nodding on the radio. And now I'm going to describe what I'm wearing for them. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. You are a handsome um, man, Seamus. I just want to say that was great to hear um, Heather and Haley talk about the transplant process. Um, I have a similar story in that Suleika Jawad, my girlfriend, went through that same experience uh, for a different type of cancer, um, in fact, 250 days ago. So there's some synchronicity with 250. 250. Wow. And she's going to be on the 250th show. There you go. Well, there you go. That is synchronicity. Yeah. If I've ever heard it. Doug Henning is spinning his magic somewhere because of this. Anyone know who Doug Henning is? No idea. Not a clue. He's the other David Copperfield that no one's ever heard of. Oh. From the 70s. Man, I'm an old guy. You <laughs> are. i got to stop making 70s references. I wasn't here yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the oldest guy in the room, aren't I? Okay, anyway. So yes, and I met you. I met you last summer briefly when she was in the uh, the, the uh, isolation room, right? right? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, you were, uh, you know, one of the few to to come because there's a high risk of infection there in the during the bone marrow transplant. But we had Matthew there and uh, to wear the yellow um, garb there, the uniform like in there. And yeah, we, yeah, we and, and I got, I got her permission to post it on Facebook because she was like, I don't want to look like that. Okay, you can post it. <laughs> But that's the truth. She's been wearing this on her sleeve for all the right reasons, and she's become just a, a, a wonderful brand-new 
spokesperson for you know trying to represent the disparities and the movement and all the issues that we face. It's it's been a, a real honor getting to know the two of you. I should mention that Suleika writes um, a column for the New York Times called Life Interrupted. Yes. And that's where she details almost every week um, since last April the the ins and outs, ups and downs of what it's like to be a young person with cancer. And how long have you been with HuffPost? I've been a uh, blog editor at Huffington Post for about a year and a half now. And has been journalism in your background this whole time? Yeah, I've always been uh, interested in writing and um, and writing about what I see. And um, Huffington Post is a really exciting place to, uh, to be if you like to write and you like to edit and you like to be um, taken in news from, from the fire hose. Uh, it's a pretty crazy and fun That's place. a good way to put it, news from the fire hose. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most prolific content-generating websites in the, in the world, I believe. So let's go to your sidekick and, and Uber consorting. I can't even make up words tonight. <laughs> BFF. We got made up words, 70s references, and yeah. what else? And yeah. talking about and F bombs. And F bombs. Okay, Laura Shocker, hello. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. You having fun? I am. This is great. And you are technically Seamus's boss? No, Seamus okay. is on a different section. Okay, okay, okay. then you're, you're my boss. Absolutely. Okay, because I'm a blogger on HuffPo. So yeah. HuffPost. Sorry, <laughs> I gotta say it the right way. I'm gonna get my hand slapped. HuffPost. That That's is correct. Right, yeah. So what brings you to Huffington Post? I've been at Huffington Post since April 2011 on the Healthy Living section, um, editing health and fitness and health news and kind of more mindful. We call it GPS for the soul content. Ooh, that sounds fancy. Very fancy. <laughs> and is Healthy Living a new area? A new section, or has it been around for a while? No, Healthy Living's been around. It's old school Huffington Post. It's been around oh. for a while. It's had a few different names. We have Post Living, and it's kind of evolved. Okay. Um, and I've been in health journalism for a few years now, and I've always been interested in health, and my dad's still waiting for me to go to medical school, but instead, <laughs> <laughs> instead I'm so writing must, about it. <laughs> you must have been having a fan for the last couple of months leading yeah. up to you know, what's been going on. Yeah. Uh, we launched the HuffPost Generation Y section, yeah. um, I think almost a month ago now, at the end of November, right. um, focusing on young adult cancer patients and survivors, and it's been a while in the making, and it's really exciting. So my question to you, and I know Annie has a whole slew of questions for you, is, is why call it Generation Y, W-H-Y? You know, we didn't have a title for a while, and we were kind of calling it the Young Adult Cancer Package, and right. <laughs> <laughs> really catchy, right? and we were asked, we wanted to ask people in the in the community for ideas, and every time I interviewed somebody at the end, I would say, you know, what should we call this? And and, and this idea of kind of why and, and kind of being, you know, not sure why it's happening to you right. kept resonating. Mm-hmm. We really liked the idea of generation, and Seamus helped, and it, I don't know, kind of bounced around and ended up being Generation Y, W-H-Y. My big question is, where did you guys also get the idea to start all this? It actually came straight from the community. We've always Mm -hmm. had people blogging about this, but we noticed an increase in people writing, asking us if they could blog about it. Um, And an editor of another section, our women's section, was getting a ton of pitches, and she said, you know, can you maybe do a piece on this? And the more I investigated it, the more I realized that there's a really interesting medical perspective in that this group hasn't seen an increase in survival rates in 20 years, I think it is now. And um, then there's also this incredibly interesting psychosocial issues like dating and going to college and um, dealing with debt and fertility and children. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of evolved from there. And over a few different 
yeah, editors and months, and it turned into this package. Yeah, I I love the content. I read it all the time, and I was really excited when I found out you guys made the show because I'm you know I'm 31 years old, and I literally just finished treatment like two weeks ago, and there are so many different issues that people in their 20s and 30s go through with dealing with cancer that older people don't deal with, that teens don't deal with, that children don't deal with, and, you know, dating, fertility, the, you know, one of the one my favorite, one of my favorite ones was with Johnny Everman and uh, Jen Smith uh, talking about, you know, how they date and... Glad that was your favorite. I it wrote was, it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it just because it's something that I'm dealing with now, and I yeah. feel like so many people can relate to that. And, you know, it can be really challenging because you guys talk about, you know, how to tell people. I know that Matthew did the, um, like, a chat session where you told that We did that a Google story. Hangout uh, awkward yeah. dating moment. Can you please share the story really quick? Well, I'm going to say it incorrectly because I think I said it incorrectly on the 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 the, uh, the post. But um, I was working at Harrison Star, an aid agency on uh, 22nd Street, and it was my first job out of cancer. I was really embittered because I was going to go to grad school to be a concert pianist, and I couldn't do that. So, and I was also struggling. And this was '96, so there was no psychosocial. The word didn't exist. So I was just kind of struggling to figure out who I was and what I was doing. And I was skinny and bald and like, infertile and impotent, and nothing was working. And it was it was terrible. It was a mess of a human being. Much more than I am now. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I nipped you, that you, in the bud. You could smell my I brain. Nipped that in the bud. And uh, I, I started anew with this job at the aid agency. It was a bunch of people that had no idea who I was. So I I realized that I I didn't feel judged because it was all self judging. All these brand new people had no idea that I didn't start out this skinny and bald. This is just who I was at 23 years old. So anyway, 18 months later, uh, in the summer of '97. Uh, was my surgiversary, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I decided to ask out this girl, Terry, to lunch, who I liked. And we went out to lunch, and we had a rapport. She just knew me as Matt, the guy from the office, and we had whatever. And I disclosed to her during lunch. I said, by the way, today is my 18-month anniversary from beating brain cancer. And she literally broke down crying, like not out of pity, but just out of, like, a shock. Like, it's the last thing you'd expect someone to drop on you. And it wasn't negative. It wasn't... It was just a thing. And I, I, what I said on the, on the, uh, in the interview was that the, the, she embarrassed the restaurant. She embarrassed the two of us. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the restaurant all was like, what's going on here? So these two people, Harry met Sally at the orgasm scene, but screaming, crying. <laughs> and, and that was how I learned to shut my mouth. And it wasn't our first date. Like, we got enough to lunch a thousand times. I think the misperception was it was our first date. It wasn't. We just had gone out to lunch and I told her. But it goes back to that, that young adults face this all the time. How do you reintegrate yourself? How do you start your life again? How do you reboot the engine when it's taken away from you? When you're One of the nicest and most poignant quotes we've ever gotten was uh, in our uh, uh, promotional uh, documentary film that we did three years ago. One of the guys in the uh, movie said that it's a moment in your life when you're supposed to be taking ten steps forward and you're taking ten steps backwards. And that's, that was me in 1996 and seven. So I, I talk about like how I've been part of this young adult cancer movement since it became the balloon filling up with water in 1996, uh, in 2006, sorry, and it's ready to explode. The balloon is so full of water. There's so many stories and science and research and content and humans that are, are around this now, like gravity, 
that it's just so poignant and, and prescient that you guys opted to pick up the, the story about the movement when you did. It was ready for it. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that uh, Seamus and Julika, you wrote you wrote a column with uh, Suleika about um, being caregivers and how to help friends. What kind of what spurred the idea to write that? Just because we've all, everyone who's ever had cancer has had very interesting experiences with their friends. So is that like something that you guys wrote together based on Zuleika's experiences? It did, yeah. Um, and I think it took a few months after her diagnosis to to be able to write about that for both of us and to build up some kind of experience of what's this actually like. Um it's always hard to talk about disease, we found, and diseases that are life-threatening, issues of death. Uh, when we hear the word cancer, you know, Susan Sontag famously talked about it as the, the metaphor because the word cancer is so scary. Um, we noticed people, um, how people reacted to her diagnosis, and we decided we should write this um, to help people because actually, I think I can speak for her as well, actually no one really can do it terribly wrong, but everyone's really trying hard to be there and do the right thing, but we thought we'd get some pointers. And yeah. these are certainly things I never knew. You know, one of them is um, don't necessarily ask what you can do. A lot of people ask that. Um, I've certainly asked that in the past about people, um, everything from grief, uh, you know, when people are going through something to disease. But uh, suggest some things that are sort of credible, real things you can do and then follow through on them. And I've learned that and put that into practice when I can. I wish that you guys wrote that, like, in February. <laughs> so that when I was diagnosed, I could have just, like, blasted that out to all my friends. Like, this is what you need to do. Another it's, really good one yeah. uh, to, to get this in, because I think this is one that I have um, could have benefited from in the past, is writing an email and then just dropping something kind of to ease the pressure, saying, no need to reply, no rush. I'm just here for you, and I'm saying this. Um, there's a strange thing that goes on where you receive a lot of love mm-hmm. by email nowadays, especially, and then you feel like you have to respond, but you're yeah. sick, you know. I remember when I, so I broke the news to people by, I started doing it by phone and in person a little bit, but then I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I started, like, emailing, and I emailed, like, a group of, like, five friends all in one email. And one person called me, and then one person was like, well, maybe she's telling us about email for a reason. I was like, yes, I don't want to talk about it. And then, um... I decided to do the Facebook route. Like, I wrote a blog and was like, hi, I have cancer. Here's the whole story. And the, I mean, I've never gotten so many. It was like my birthday on steroids. Because, you know, like, on your birthday, you get, like, 200 Facebook messages. I had so many, and it was so overwhelming. But people really, they don't know what to say, and they don't know how to act. And it was it's really important that you guys wrote that. It's really good because even one of my friends told me when I was diagnosed that she Googled it like how to be a friend to someone who's dealing with cancer and um, it's, it's another really important thing because it's tough on it's tough on your friends it's tough being a caregiver you don't know what to do to help but you know I, I personally just really I enjoyed that one well I like to talk about how it's hard enough to be 22 mm-hmm. in general or 25 or 26 it's just hard enough to be growing up in this culture you know, everything's so frenetic and everything's so instant and everything's so on all the time. It's so different than, I mean, I guess I'm 38 and growing up in the 70s and the early 80s was a whole lot simpler, not quite farm life simpler, but just simpler. And 
the idea of having to go through what I went through when I was 21 today at 21 is mind-boggling. So the fact that you guys are talking about this is so much more meaningful than it could ever possibly be, just in general. But I wanted to ask you, what have you found in uncovering this this sort of Pandora's box of content, if you would, uh, to be the, the more compelling uh, in terms of the arc that you'd like to see this take? I think one of the things I thought was most interesting, like you just said, you wished you'd read that blog post in February, and everybody I've spoken to has said that. I wish you'd written this article in 2010 when I was diagnosed. I wish I would have read this. I wish I would have had this section. And I think that people, the more that the movement keeps growing and, and things like Generation Y and Stupid Cancer and giving people the resources, that they're so excited to have a place to be able to talk about it and learn about it. And in this process, I've asked people deeply personal questions, and who am I? I'm just some girl who works for the Huffington Post, and they've been so open and so interested in sharing their most personal details because they want to help other people and they want them to have the resources that they didn't have. And so I think that that has been really rewarding and helpful as we keep growing and and hopefully getting those stories out there. But this is the patient population that has never had a voice in media. Yeah. Never had a voice in media. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I come from the agency world, so I know I live and breathe media and content all the time. Creation of it, curation of it, whatever it is, and building Stupid Cancer over the last six years with numerous other great partner organizations. We've all been waiting for the moment when this becomes public and mainstream and people just understand that. I like to say that we're not special as cancer patients, but we're different right. as cancer patients, and that we have different needs. We need to be treated differently clinically and socially, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you're doing. And one of the things I told Jameis when we were walking over here, when I wrote my introductory post, I got close to 100 emails of people in the community saying, thank you, yes. and I want to share my story, and I want to blog. And what I thought was so interesting is that so many of them already were. They were blogging on their personal sites, but they haven't had the platform to really right. get it out there, and that's what I'm hoping HuffPost can provide. And if people are interested in blogging, we um, just set up a new email. It's generationywhy at huffingtonpost.com, and Wonderful. people can reach out. And it might take us a few days. We've had an unbelievable response. Well, we've been curating content for six years. There's there's tens of thousands of people that would love to have their stories profiled. It, it, again, I just, it, it's kind of like I hearken this to, and I guess I use the word hearken, mm-hmm. There's the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, which is like just this clinical body. I don't know if you've got any research when you talk to Brad Zebrecht or whatnot. Mm-hmm. There are now uh, clinical standards. There's, there are um, uh, guidelines, industry guidelines, for providers, nurses, doctors, oncologists to have. Implement, I think, it's a separate story, but just the fact that the guidelines are there, that you have to treat the young adult patient differently. And this is a mandate for best practices and quality of life and quality of care and access to care. This age group is disease agnostic. It is different. It's not pediatrics. It's not older adults. And I'm I'm, I'm as happy now that this has transpired, having the media gods of the Huffington Post cover this story as I was when the clinical side of this came out with the guidelines and standards for young adults with cancer. It's Again, and, and the joke is always, yes, where were you when I needed you? <laughs> I like to ask, where was I when I needed me? That's all I can say. Well, you're exactly right. This demographic has been underrepresented and overlooked and misunderstood for a long time, um, longer than I was uh, involved with cancer through through being a caregiver for my girlfriend. 
but I think we've stumbled upon, like you said, um, just a trove of people's real stories. And after all, the Huffington Post is sort of founded upon people blogging, uh, telling their narrative, their take on things, writing opinion pieces. Um, this is perfectly set up for Generation Y, for this new group, um, to talk about their experience with young adult cancer, which, by the way, as defined, um, is 18 to 40, I believe. Mm -hmm. It, it varies depending on who you talk to, but it's largely 18 to 40. Yeah. And these are issues, to give an example, um, a young... Uh, Suleika, my girlfriend, is in the waiting room, and often people are 50 or 60 years old, and they're dealing with separate issues that are just as relevant and serious. But they're not dealing with what grad school program right. do I go to now that I have to take five years off and maybe um, have to, you know, what's another issue is debt. You know, you're dealing with student debt, you have a great job, and you're diagnosed. Um, and then dating and fertility are huge issues. So we want right. to put a spotlight on that. Um, and the sharing element is at the center of the Internet, right? Sharing is the DNA of the Internet, especially for young people. Yeah. But sharing is difficult when you have cancer, when you have a disease. What's interesting about Generation Y at the Huffington Post is people are starting to share about having cancer as a young adult, and that's pretty incredible. They're using the tools of the Internet in a way that maybe hasn't been done on a big scale. Yeah, and, and to that, I don't think it would be possible to get the kind of notoriety, social change, political change, clinical change for this generation if there wasn't the Internet. I just don't think that that voice would be as amplified as it is. Because I, there was an organization started in the 80s called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. Here's just good data for you. It was started by a bunch of young adults with cancer in their 20s and 30s. They're all like in their 50s and 60s and 70s now because they've done this. But it was the first organization that used the word survivorship in their title, they coined the phrase, and they became the first organization that discussed patients' bill of rights and quality of life, tantamount to quality of care, and they didn't have the Internet. It took them 20 years to become more of a mainstream concept. So, again, going back to the fact that we are in 2012, almost 2013, I, I do not believe groups like Stupid Cancer or Planet Cancer or even Livestrong would, would have risen to prominence without the technology at our disposals today. Absolutely agree. Yeah. What has been, as far as the content goes, what has have you guys received the most positive feedback from and, like, the most buzz? I think all of the real stories and the blogs have done really well for us, and um, the dating story got a ton of feedback, and I think every... 20-something can relate, whether you have cancer or not, can relate to how awkward dating can be. Yeah, dating sucks. <laughs> so, and then you have surgery and you have, like, fake boobs and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, so we yeah. add, you know, we added, like, this layer to yeah. it that I think everybody could relate to, no matter who you were. And so that one got a really great response and, and the comments on it were great and, you know, a mix of people with and without cancer kind of talking about it and you know, what it would be like to have sex after, you know, having all of your hormones stripped out, you know, and, and, and really interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that one, maybe it did well because it was the sexiest one, but um, I know I Seamus has also, recruited a few, too, that it's Yeah, done I really just well. think that one's also just so relatable. Yeah. And people forget, like, it's hard to remember. I mean, I do remember how awkward dating is in general right. and how annoying and weird it is in general. Right. And then you, like, add this layer, and it's funny because I think one of the things... Jen and I've uh, I haven't met Jen Smith in person, but I've met her like through the internet um, in different breast cancer support groups. And 
Um, I think one of the things she mentioned is, you know, she mentions a lot about, you know, she's living with stage four and all the issues of that. Um, so it's just really good to get a lot of good feedback with that. And she definitely brings up, you know, the body issues and it's just all, yeah. it's just very helpful. One of my favorite things about her is that she called cancer when we were doing her interview. She called it her D-bag filter. Yeah. yeah. And she I totally said that she that. doesn't want a guy who can't handle the hard stuff in life. And this mm-hmm. is a pretty quick way for her to weed out whether they can or can't. And other people might have to wait until something comes up until they can tell if the person can really roll with the punches. And, and she can tell right away. But <laughs> that's a good that. segue to the yeah. young adult caregiver, too. Yeah. We, we focus very heavily on the young adult affected by cancer, not just the patient. And Seamus, you're sitting here staring at us because mm-hmm. you are a young adult cancer caregiver who was dating her prior to her diagnosis, correct? That's right. So talk us through that. Well, um, the story begins uh, along the Seine in Paris, and uh, Sulek and I were living in France, and we were dating, newly a couple, um, and having the time of our lives, um, living in a foreign country, um, she speaking the language a lot better than I, (laughs) but, but, um, you know, taking trains around Europe, and in some ways, looking back, this encapsulates the experience of a young person, right? What, what else would, should you be doing or would you be doing in your 20s? would be living in a foreign country, traveling. Um, you're, you're imagining the future, but you're living in the present, and you're, um, and you're in a new relationship, and, and all of that was going on, and things seemed to be sort of perfect. Um, and it sounds like some, some movie, some rom-com that might right. <laughs> could be good. <laughs> could be a little cheesy but you know we would often joke that it was cliche you know we're living in Paris and dating um, and then she started having symptoms and this is unfortunately sort of a, um, a story we've heard before where you start getting a few symptoms a flu won't go away um, you have some headaches and uh, you go into the ER one night and they don't know what's going on and um, I think a lot of you here and listeners can relate to this so we were in you know French hospitals for a little bit and waiting for this um uh, this diagnosis that we didn't didn't expect. Um, so fast forward, she was um, diagnosed with leukemia, and we've been dating six or eight months. Um, we had a really strong relationship, but but I had never met her parents, uh, for example, or or um, we'd lived part time in another country and part in the U.S. So there we were, um, faced with a young relationship and a grown up kind of diagnosis um, right and and that was a and year you stuck and with half it ago. it didn't phase you you were just there was no doubt in your mind well i think there's a myth a little bit that it doesn't phase people um that the caregiver is strong and that and and you get through it but um it was certainly a shock i mean like, i didn't but, make you want to like bail but no no that's right i the thought never crossed your mind didn't think about bailing of course not um and there we were, and in some ways, we we had the strength being together, and it was a shock to both of us, no doubt. Um, but we really had to stick together then, and we wanted to. So uh, we were really lucky. Um, we were lucky to have each other then, and you know, we spent a lot of time there at the beginning in waiting rooms and in and in hospitals, and she gave me a lot of comfort as well. Right, because it, it it goes without saying that the caregiver in general is often not even recognized in conversations in healthcare. Um, the burden to the caregiver, the burden my parents had, that my brother had, that my friend, you know, and and I have to commend you. That, yeah, you're still here, 
but B, you're like really actually here. You're involved in this every step of the way. You're with her as often as you can be, and you've been an amazing support structure for her, and you never thought that this would be your life. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Um, There are a lot of people who are in my position as well, and I think one interesting thing about young people in cancer is that young people don't have as much life experience. So, of course, I had never dealt with a with maybe a sick parent yet um, and other things that are um, for better or worse part of the life experience so that strikes young people early and and it can be a new scary thing so it was for me but um, but you know this is this is part of life and um, unfortunately but we've we've stuck together and I'm certainly learning along the way and right. I get a lot of help from other people's stories and other caregivers like you said, it's um, not talked about a whole lot, so it helped me to find other people, real humans who are yeah. caregivers, and say, what's this like? Mm-hmm. What can I do better? You know, I'm feeling um, so worried all the time, and yet I'm not able to help very much, and I'm not a doctor myself and all that. And she still likes you, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're working on that. You know, th- you have to still be in a relationship, right? This is the whole thing. Like, life doesn't pause. um so that's why all the dating blogs and all are so interesting. Is that life goes on? You're still you're still two people in a relationship. So yeah, we have to work on, um, you know, the ins and outs, the little details of living together, and um, where we're gonna go for Christmas. You know, whose family? And uh, you know, she wanted to get a dog that was small, and I wanted to get one that was big. <laughs> Whatever. These are small things, but the point is that life doesn't um, hit the pause button. Right. And um, and here we are two years later, and um, we're still standing. This has a screenplay written all over it. It does, yeah. <laughs> all right, so it's it got to either be Matthew McConaughey. I was, was going to say Jude Law. Jude Law? Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Ryan Gosling? No, no, Ryan Gosling's too small. These are all flattering. People, <laughs> like, people on the radio don't know that I'm awkwardly tall. <laughs> all those collections sound fine. Borat. Yeah. <laughs> He's like eight feet tall, like Sasha Baron yeah. So, Laura, what has been your personal reaction to the, what I'm guessing would be an unexpected um, windfall of of a reaction response, all positive, mm-hmm. from this decision to undertake this topic? I've been at HuffPost for a year and a half now, a little over a year and a half. I've put out dozens and dozens of stories, and I'll get one or two emails back, and they're usually mean. Uh, (laughs) This has been incredible, and every journalist wants to do something where they feel like they're touching somebody's lives, or like they're making a difference, or somebody reads it and learns something new, or feels like I'm not alone. And so in that way, it's been really rewarding and amazing, and I never imagined we'd have this many people. And I love that I work at a place where now we have the opportunity to let all these people responding write their stories and blog and, and get that out there, and I think that's really important and special. And I'm really excited... You know, we thought this project might last five weeks. Um, you know, we had an advertiser for it, figured it would end at the end of December, and now it could run on its own with blogs and can definitely keep living, and that's really exciting to feel like we made something that can last and that we found a community that really wants to talk and is excited about it, and we're really happy. We've never seen anything like this um, at Healthy Living. Yeah, sure. sometimes we just don't show up either. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> really, though, of all these the healthy living section is really highly trafficked, clicked upon section, really interesting stuff that everyone can relate to. Ariana's, one of her sort of pet interests is sleep and the importance of sleep, um, stress at work and at home. 
And we don't yet, know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, and all those things are important, and yet the young adult cancer um, generation Y section is one of the one of the most popular. And there's a reason for that, and you all here know that, and I think have been knocking on doors. Um, maybe actually and figuratively yes. to get this out there. <laughs> True um, that, yes. And and from a editorial, from a journalism standpoint, it's it's also great because this is real news. This is important. Right. Mm-hmm. One of my questions is, you know, what's kind of next for you guys? I know that one of the, you know, Huffington Post. Vegas, baby. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Besides us all going to Vegas and hanging out at yeah. OMG, um, you know, Huffington Post is traditionally known being a political website, and even though it does have, you know, the style, the style sections are always fun because you have, like, the slideshows of people wearing different dresses at the Oscars and things like that. But uh, one of the big political issues right now is health care, especially with President Obama, you know, being reelected and all the impact that health care has, on, especially for young adults and young adults who have unfortunately faced disease, whether it be cancer or MS, whatever chronic illness it might be, um, is that even if it's just from an unbiased point of view, is healthcare and the healthcare loss something you guys are going to explore? Definitely. I think what's, what's really cool about this project and why I love it so much is it's not just a health story, it's a healthcare and a politics story. It's, you know, we have HuffPost College, HuffPost Women, HuffPost Parents, HuffPost Weddings, you know, it's mm-hmm. all kind of tied in with it. And I think that healthcare will definitely come up. Yeah. We've talked about, um, at the end of all my interviews, I've asked people kind of, what would you want me to write about next? And debt has come up a lot. And the idea of, of people um, in this age group are the least likely to have health insurance, and that has played into a lot of the stories. And so I think that will definitely come up. Yeah. I, one thing I've shockingly come across as, you know, being a person treated for cancer is the unbelievable amount of young people my age who didn't have health insurance when they were diagnosed, mm-hmm. whether they went to, like, a Planned Parenthood right. or they went to, you know, a clinic. I met one person who I've known for a while. We were both diagnosed with breast cancer at the same time, and she didn't have health insurance. She was a small business owner, and she just went to a clinic. And she was, she either, you know, she had stage three breast cancer. I was like, for the love of God, get find out a way to get Medicaid. Right. And go to a real, I mean, not that clinics aren't real doctors, but get yourself to a cancer, like an oncologist. Don't go to like a general surgeon. I was like, you need a breast surgeon. You need this. You need that. But it's right. And it's so troubling that this, you know, we're America and we have all this access to like, you live in New York City and you have access to St. Kettering and. Mount Sinai and NYU, but then there's all these people who don't have insurance, whether it be, and also a big theme is people in their 20s freelance. Mm-hmm. They take projects and they think that, you know, we all think we're invincible and that we're okay. And it's so scary to think that, you know, even when my first job I was freelance, I didn't have my health insurance for a little while. What if this, God forbid, happened 10 years ago? Right. You know, to me, it's just such a theme and it's really sad. I'm glad that the law is, you know, it. it survive the Supreme Court, and now that President Obama has been reelected, it'll, you know, survive in 2013. Right, and as you guys dive down the the rabbit hole here, there's another sort of sub-cottage industry in the young adult movement of the underinsured Mm -hmm. and the representation from the legal industry about how you have to sue your insurance companies to cover things because you already have insurance. And uh, there's an organization called uh, Navigating Cancer Survivorship. They're very, very prominent in our community. And I'm going to get the stats wrong, but she'll correct me, whatever. But something like 75% of all bankruptcies are medical. 
and more than like 80% of those are underinsured people, not uninsured. Right. So the young adults are mostly the most un- underinsured in the country. So even if you're not sick, even if you have something else happen to you, your health insurance, you know, you're going to have and And fertility ties. You shouldn't have to get a home equity line of credit to get a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you have no ovaries. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I again, we're here. For, we want to be your best friends. We can open up doors. We can introduce you to people. There's so much out there. Like we know you said, everybody. <laughs> I, well, we we know everybody because we've yeah. been around for six years now, and it's it's really like it's an inbred little universe. There's only like really four of us, which is all wear different hats, you know. But it's it's there's so much, and like you said, it's so good to hear you say that there's no short supply of people that want to share their stories. The, again, this is the water bubble. The water balloon that's been getting bigger and bigger, waiting for the pin, and you guys have, the, have been the pin. That's great to hear. Yeah. So, any final parting thoughts, questions? I just want to say thank you for giving people like me a place to go to read, to share links with my other friends who I've met. Um, I read a lot of like young survival blogs and you know Facebook groups and things like that, and your col- your columns and your content is shared and shared again and. That's great hearing, so, and yeah. thanks for sharing it, and thank you to all the people who have shared their stories and been so open, and to you guys for being so helpful. You've opened a lot of doors in the community and helped us get connected to the right people, which has been great. Thank so, you so much. Huffington Post, Healthy Living. Mm-hmm. It's at Healthy Living on Twitter. Yep. And it's Generation Y. Is there a separate URL on Huffington Post for that, or just search it, for? It is. It's HuffingtonPost.com slash Generation dash Y. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you can get to it from the Healthy Living page up top. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much, uh, Seamus McKiernan and Laura Shocker from the Huffington Holy Post. Oh, that, that's the wrong one. <laughs> that would be this one. <laughs> Big applause. Thank you. I hit the wrong button. Okay. All right. Well, that is our show. Um, and uh, I guess season 11. In the Se- bag. Season 11 in the bag. Amazing. Keeps going. Yeah. We just keep showing up. As <laughs> long as the power works, I guess. All right. Well, now, for the last time in 2012, our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo! <laughs> You've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's tonight's show. As Matt mentioned, our 249th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. And we'd like to thank our on-air and in-studio guests, the lovely Maureen Sweet, Timmy Kim, Matt Beckett, from our staff, Heather and Haley Buchan, Laura Shocker, Seamus McKiernan from the Huffington Post Healthy Living. All right, we are off on hiatus until January 14th for our 250th show. We've got some great people lined up for you next year. Here's just a small sample of what's coming up for you. We are interviewing the folks from Hollywood Health and Society. They are a group of writers who coach the screenwriters, uh, act, uh, survivors and lawyers and doctors who coach the screenwriters of TV shows Thank you for clarifying. to ensure for character accuracy, which is wonderful stuff. I'm one of their advisors. We're doing a show, finally a show, on cell phones and brain tumors. We're doing a show featuring two young adult survivor chef restaurateurs. We are covering the C4YW Breast Cancer Conference with the Young Survival Coalition and Living Beyond Breast Cancer. 
we were discussing CureLauncher.com, a brand new type of um, what's that the website that uh, people could project is Kickstarter. Kickstarter for clinical trials. Go figure that one out. And finally, the folks from Fuck Cancer, Yale Cohn and Bernadette Lennon will be on our show. Join us in New York City on January 14th for the 250th show party at Chelsea Matter from 10 o'clock to midnight. That is, again, Monday, January 14th. If you've missed any of our past shows, all 249 of them, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org. Or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't chemo, it ain't cancer. I said that all wrong. You did. It's the last show. If it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the Kilo Deck on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodman, myself, and the whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great holiday season, a happy new year, and we'll see you back here on Monday, January 14th. Take care. Happy holidays. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.